You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. Peter and his letter to the persecuted church uh, in Asia Minor. And what happened here was that the evil empire, Nero, caused an uproar within the Christian faith that he blamed the city, the burning of the city of Rome on the Christians. And so in this, they became the scapegoat for Nero. And he pointed to them and said, look, these are the ones that you should be after. These are the ones whom you should be persecuting. And so in this, there was much distress, much persecution that came amongst the Christian church at this time. And so knowing this, Peter pens this letter to the surrounding churches in this area to encourage them with doctrinal truth and also practical living in the midst of this pain and suffering that that the Christian church would begin to see, and not only then, but we'll see throughout the history of the Christian church, that we ourselves will be persecuted. And so knowing this, Peter gives them doctrinal truth so that the believers can cling to these promises, that we can cling to the promises that God has made to us, and we can hold to these truths in these tough times. And then also that there's practical living that Peter is encouraging us to do through the life that Christ lived himself in the midst of persecution, that we should emulate this, that we should imitate who Christ is because he went through it. He doesn't just speak about it, teach about it, and say this is, this is how you should handle it, that Christ himself was persecuted. And we know that he was persecuted to the point of death. And so Paul, Peter opens his letter and he says that we are aliens, that we are strangers to this world, and that God has chosen us, that we are the elect people for his own possession and that we no longer are people that live in darkness, but we live in this kingdom of light, that we are a royal priesthood. And knowing that we are strangers in this in this world, God has to operate it through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is what he says in verse 1. He says, you are chosen, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Christ, to be sprinkled by His blood, may grace and peace be yours, in the fullest measure. As chosen people, we have a new identity. We have a new foundation. We have a new life. And it is founded in the death of Jesus Christ. And it is reserved for you in heaven. So our security, our our inheritance is secure. And so in this, Peter falls in the midst of this writing. In the opening verse, he falls into worship. He falls into praise and he pins this doxology. And he says in verse 3, he says, Blessed Be God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, our source, who according to His great mercy, His compassion on us, has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our acceptance from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is perishable, which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is our security. It is held by the power of God and not by you, not anything you've done that you cannot merit it, but that Christ Himself finished it on the cross. And this is our salvation. And we are waiting for the second coming of God, Christ Jesus. And so for believers, we should what? We should find joy in this. We should find a salvation joy in this. And knowing this, this is what verse 6 says. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, even though now for this season in life, if necessary, 
you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable even through fire, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And through you have not seen him, you loved him. And though you do not know, you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, with joy above speech and full of glory. In verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. So salvation is not a brief or a circumstantial happiness. It's an everlasting joy, that it's an eternal joy that we wait for. Because there will be times in this life where we, we suffer and we will seem down and we will and we will grieve and we will mourn. But there's a joy in us. There's an everlasting joy deep in the souls of the believers, of those that God has called, those who God is you who will use for his possession. And so it's this deep rooted faith that we have that gives us a joy that is inexpressible, inexpressible, and full of his glory. And so now we looked at verse ten. We turn there and we're going to talk about Peter now is going to talk about this great salvation. Salvation's greatness. And starting in verse 10, he says this, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of this grace that would come to you made careful, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And in this, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And this is where I want to start this morning. A quick story I want to share with you. It's a story about a city boy and a farmer boy. The story begins one summer day. A city boy is in Scotland in the early 19th century, and he goes out to the lake and he's swimming. And he's enjoying a swim, and then all of a sudden he has severe cramps. And he can't swim, and he yells out for help, and he's crying out for help. And a nearby farmer boy hears him, runs to the lake, dives in, swims in there after him, pulls him out, and rescues him. And the, form, the city boy was so grateful and overwhelmed with joy, and he said, thank you. And so the story goes on, and several years later they meet again. And the city boy says, you know, come meet my family. I want, to, I want you to meet my family. And the parents are so grateful that they rescued this boy. And so for them, they said, you know what? Whatever career you want to go into, however you want to pursue life, we want to take care of that financially. And the boy said, I want to go to medical school. So they paid because of their promise. They paid for him to go to medical school. And so he went on to become a brilliant scientist and a microbiologist, amongst many other things, and he discovered a wonderful drug that we know as penicillin. And in 1945, he shared the Nobel Prize with two other scientists, and the, and the Scottish farm boy turned scientist researcher who died in 1955 was known as Alexander Fleming. And so the rescued city boy also has a great story. And during World War II, he contracted a life-threatening disease uh, I'm sorry, a case of pneumonia that would would have killed him, but because of penicillin, he was once again rescued. And so indirectly, Alexander 
technically rescued him twice. And so the city boy name was Winston Churchill. And so Alexander, also just like Alexander, he won the Nobel Prize in 1953 on his writings of the history of the World War or the Second World War. And so I tell you this story. Why do I tell you this story? Because sometimes it, it, in life it's, it's good to hear these moments. It's good to hear these great rescues. But for us as believers, nothing compares to Christ's rescue. Nothing compares. And my heart, my prayer, and I think what Peter's trying to say is that even though these stories may inspire us to help, there's nothing greater than the inspiration of the power of the Holy Spirit working through the life of the believers to bring salvation to the people. I'm not saying that we ourselves can save people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that living an obedient life to Christ will reflect the goodness of who He is to a world that is lost. And in that, God will draw them to Himself. And this is the great rescue. This is the great salvation that not only that we hear of today, but those in the Scriptures long to see. Long to see. And that's where Peter goes right here. So the theme of Peter's message is this great salvation that was from the viewpoint of four agents we see in Scripture. The first one is the prophets who studied it. The next is the Spirit who inspired it. The apostles who taught it. And then the angels who examined it. So that's what we're going to look at here. So starting in verse 10, it says this, As to this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of this great of grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time. And so right away it says, as to this salvation, referring back to verse 9. If you look at verse 9, it says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So obtaining this salvation, the prophets, God's spokesmen from the Old Testament who prophesied of, that, of this grace would come. So out of, out of all the truths revealed in the, in the prophet's day, out of everything that God revealed to them, salvation was their passion. It was something that they longed to know. It was something that they searched for. These verses that they searched for. it. They made careful searches. Because they wanted to know more. From Moses to Malachi, the Old Testament prophets, they, they, they were fascinated with this great salvation. They were fascinated knowing that how wretched we were as people that God would come in the form of man and give His life for us. That this great grace, the salvation message. And so they were, they were very fascinated by this. And I love what it says in Hebrews 11, 13. It says, In all these things, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive what was promised, but because God had provided something better for us so that apart from from us, they would not be made perfect. Meaning that God sent His Son to complete the work. And so they longed, the prophets longed for this in the second coming. So, so the focus of the prophet's study was this. It was centered, look at verse, uh, <clears throat> look at verse 10. It, says it was centered on the grace that would come to sinners through Him. Like I said, knowing our condition, knowing man's condition, they were fascinated that God would send His Son for us, and that He would unite us, and that He would forgive us, that He would give us a love that was unmerited, undeserved, that He would be good to His people. He's a good Father. 
And in verse nine, in verse ten, it says, "The prophets who prophesied of this grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, that they were interested in their own writing." Isn't that cool to think about that? That the Spirit of God, and we'll get to that soon. That the Spirit of God inspired these words. It's not a story they made up and wrote down. Like as they're writing, as they're pinning it, as the power of God is inspiring them to pin this, they're like, hold up. Like, I, I want to know more about this. That this is something very new and good to them. So they want to seek it out. It's not a false story, but it's inspired by God. So in verse 11 indicates this. It says also that not only did they want to know they also want to know what person and what time. Look at verse 11. It says, seeking to know what person or what time. They wanted to know who this Savior was, this judge, this king, this prophet, this priest. They wanted to know Him. And I love that they wanted Him to know so much that we, in Scripture we never see where they gave up. Because guess what? The world thought they were crazy too. The world thought they were crazy. Have you ever read the Old Testament, anybody? There's some crazy stories in there. And if you don't think some people stood back and was like, wait, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And so there was much persecution in their day. There was much suffering in their days. And yet they pursued Christ. They pursued to know this Messiah. They pursued to know this King that would come. So now continuing in verse 11, we see the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says this, it says, the Spirit of Christ within them the prophets, was indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but serving you, serving you, Christian believers. So here, the truth of the prophecies was still was inspired by the Spirit of who? The Spirit of Christ. How do we know this? Look at verse 10. It says, The prophets who prophesied of grace that would come to you, make careful searches and inquiries. It, was, it wasn't of themselves. It was the Spirit of God. So they wanted to know more. They knew it was inspired by, Christ, by the Spirit of Christ. And so they, they sought after. And there's two themes that we see here that, the, that they prophesied about. First, the suffering of Christ. And the second, the glories to follow. And we see the suffering throughout the Old Testament prophecies. Look at Daniel or just listen to Daniel 9 as he says this, 70 weeks have been de decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgressions, to make the end of sin, to make an atonement for iniquities, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up a vision and a prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are known and discern that from the issues of the decree to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt again, plaza and the moat, and even the times of distress. Then, after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood, and even in the end, there will be war. So there was prophesied of the suffering of Christ. And also in Zechariah 12, verse 10, it says, I will pour out the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace, of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for the only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bittering weeping over a first 
born. So there was many, many more of these prophesied about the pain and the suffering that Christ would, would come to know on, on our behalf, on the behalf of sinners. But then he speaks of the glories to follow. Listen to the Old Testament. As Isaiah writes this in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to his increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of David and over this kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on and forevermore, the seal of the Lord of the host will accomplish this. Amen. The glories to follow. We will experience much pain and much suffering in this life. But it's for the glory to follow. That we keep our eyes set on eternity. That we live this life in view of eternity. So now let's look at this first, first phrase here in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Don't overlook it. It says the Spirit of Christ within them. This demonstrates this eternal, inseparable uh, connection with the Holy Spirit. And so if you're still working through this whole idea of the Trinity and what that looks like, or the Godhead, that the Spirit of Christ, that Jesus, Father, and Son, they're all one. That this picture of unity here, it says the Spirit of Christ within them. Christ Himself let me read it to you. It says this. It says, The Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. And what this word here indicating means, it means to make plain. It says to make plain to them, He predicted, as He predicted, meaning the witness beforehand, what was coming. So what was coming was God, this great salvation to the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, was in this, was in the writing of the prophecies of the Old of the men of the Old Testament. So it was inspired by the Spirit of God and Christ Himself. So I love this. Peter indicates the reality here. He writes this in verse 12. He says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, Christians. What a thought. What a thought that as these men journeyed throughout a just impressive journey of life, that knowing that they would not see the full accomplishment of God's glory. That they couldn't taste and see the Spirit of God like we do today. But they still served faithfully. They still served faithfully. We see this in Hebrews 11, the men of faith. They had faith in this second coming, even though they searched for it, even though they longed for it, and even in their sufferings and in the world, in the midst of the world who thought they were crazy, they never gave up, knowing that it was for you, believers for us, for me, for those who trust in God. So thank God for the perseverance of the saints before us. Thank God that they looked to the saving work of Christ to come. That they saw eternity. That they lived in view of eternity and in view of the second coming of the Messiah. So just as we should live today in, in anticipation of the Lord's second coming, and so the Old Testament saints, they were saved by faith in God based on the fact that, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would future bear all judgment for them and for us. And so Isaiah 53 says this. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely 
our grief he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crucified for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scorning we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquities of us all to fall on him. Christ bore our sins for all. The New Testament saints, the Old Testament saints, that all people, all generations, all nations, Christ bore our sins. And so then continuing in verse 12, this is where we see the apostles teaching. Here's the third agent in the scripture that the apostles taught this great message of salvation. It says, In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And right away we see it again. In these things, once again, Peter himself, he's referring to this great salvation. He says, In these things which now have been announced, even from the very beginning when Peter preached his first sermon, in Acts 2, verse 38, he says this, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. And so in these things, in this great salvation, in verse 12, it says, In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel, through the twelve, through Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, James, Philip, Stephen, Jude, and, and others, many others. All were not apostles of Christ, but in the same way they were messengers of the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And I, I think Paul sums this up best. And he writes this in 1 Corinthians 2. And this is kind of our, our passion here at the Oaks. And I think you're going to hear it just, just listen to what he says. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 1. He says, and, with, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in your weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. This is the heartbeat of the message. This is why we preach. It's not because we want to get up here and entertain you. We want to open up the Scriptures and we want to reveal the truth to you so that you don't live on the wisdom of Jason, Casey, Joe. But you live on the wisdom of God. This is why we preach this great salvation. It's not to entertain. If you're looking for that, I apologize. Matter of fact, I don't apologize. I want you to know the truth of the Word. And I want the Word to speak in your life. The Word is all the application you need by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is one translation. There are many applications. We must know the translation. We must know what it means. And then we can apply it effectively. And this is the heartbeat. This is why the apostles taught this great message of salvation. This is why they preached the word. 
in the word alone. And then we move on to the end. And it says this in verse 12. It says, These are the things into which angels long to look. Once again, the word thing here denotes this great salvation. They're all the theme of this entire message. The theme of, of this entire passage of Scripture is this great salvation. It says, once, it says, like I said, once again, things into which angels long to look. This word long means a desire that is overwhelmingly and not easy to satisfy. They longed for it. They couldn't be satisfied. The angels longed to see this great salvation. And it says they longed to look. And this word look means to stretch forward or to bend down and to really look and gaze upon this great salvation. Because throughout history, the angels have seen it. They've seen it playing out. And they want to see more of it. And they want to rejoice more and more because they know the effective power of this great salvation in the life of those who follow after Christ. So in conclusion, no matter how difficult life is for us, believers, believers can face and live in victory in the midst of knowing that our security is found in what Christ did on the cross for us as believers. Just as those before longed to see it, we experience it now. So there is a joy, there is a triumph because of this great, this greatness of God's salvation and His grace that He's given to us. And we see this throughout Paul's letter, and we see this here in verse 10, 11, and 12 of how the prophets studied it. How they were amazed by it. And not only that, how it was inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then how the apostles lived and breathed and preached the word and they preached the message. That the angels examined it. And so I pray that today that we, that we play a part in this too. That we play a part. We all know Matthew. Just go and make disciples disciples making disciples that we play a key role in this great salvation god has called us to be obedient to the life of christ he teaches us to what go and make disciples to tell people of this great salvation that the prophets longed to see that they lived for that they suffered for that the apostles suffered for and that we today will suffer for if if live in obedience to the gospel. We will suffer. So this morning, that's why we have the Lord's Supper. So I want you to take a minute, as the band comes back up, I want you to take a minute to examine your heart, to examine your life, to think about this great salvation, to think about the sacrifice that Christ made for you and I on the cross, to think about the bloodshed that secured your inheritance forever. Think about this, to pray over it. And in light of this message, in light of this this act of worship, as we take the Lord's Supper, let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread, 
And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often excuse me, as you as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this is the mess. This is say this is the ordinance. To say, this is what you should do in remembrance of what I've done and sacrifice. Take this bread and remember my body as it was broken for you. Take this cup and remember the blood sacrifice covered your sins for all of eternity. And then he goes on to say this. Here's the warning in verse 27. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks and eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and of number asleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemning along with the world. This is an act of worship that unifies us as a body of believers. So if you are not a believer, we just ask that you respectfully not take of the Lord's Supper. It's nothing against who you are, but this is about believers uniting together to raise up what Christ has done for us to show to the world that we are bonded to Him for life because of the sacrifice He did on our behalf that we did not deserve this. That He deserved. And if you're wrestling with this, please see one of us. This is an opportunity. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message. See me, Joe, one of the elders, Casey. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you about this journey of salvation. This great salvation that God has lavished upon us because He loves each and every one of you. So take a minute. Pray as Joe and them sing over you guys. Examine your heart. And then as an act of worship, come and take take of the body.